Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin with teammate Aliyah Kamalova. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. Today's episode will examine rituals, and specifically rituals at work, even when you're working from home, that can boost your performance. In addition to sharing some real rituals from the Career Contessa community, we'll also hear from Mason Curry, author of Daily Rituals, Women at Work. Be sure to stick around until the end to learn how to win a free copy of Mason's book. And as usual, we'll end this episode with Dear Career Contessa, our listener advice segment where we answer your career questions. Today, we have a special guest, Career Contessa coach Solu Nwanze joining us as we tackle how to address the Goldilocks conundrum, either overqualified or underqualified, but never perfect. Plus, we also share some helpful resources you won't want to miss. And now this is the females. Rituals is a topic that I love, and I've been thinking about them a lot lately since maybe, you know, for a lot of us, our daily routines have been disrupted due to the coronavirus. Um, But I'd love to start with asking you, Aaliyah, do you have like a fun ritual, especially one now that you're working from home? I was thinking about this, and I think that my ritual has remained consistent because it's just making coffee. (laughs) Although now I think I even... And more indulgent with it because it's like <laughs> yeah. I can be a little slower and like uh, work while the coffee is being made or like being made. I've really built up my whole coffee setup. It's like got the Chemex, I've got like this gooseneck kettle, and I'm like I'm just like <laughs> I have like a, a scale coming in to make People sure like, my what the hell is happening? <laughs> you know, my ratio is on for my coffee to water. It's like a habit, I guess, to drink coffee every day, but. The ritualistic aspect is the whole process. Yeah, I was going to say, but you're ritualizing it because Mm -hmm. you're like getting all the stuff and it it seems to be... Do you you ever find that if you don't start your day like that, it feels different or weird? It it just feels wrong, actually. (laughs) Like it really does. It feels like someone, like I just rolled out of bed or something and was just like, you know, forced to work. Like that's a... Even though it's like, you know, what? Five minutes or something? Yeah. A process. It just feels like it really slows down the process in the morning. So it feels like it's like it's a more gradual introduction. It's it's really funny how rituals work like that versus like a routine or a habit, you know? Yeah. Do you have a ritual? So mine's also remain the same, which is going for a morning walk. I would also say that I actually even more like (laughs) it's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 
one thing before all this happened, my morning walk had to always happen really early. Like there, cause there was no way I could get to work at the time I wanted to be that, you know, like it just wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. Many of you guys know, I have a really long commute to the office. So with everything that's happening, I agree. It's like, it's become even more important, but also I'm able to do it at, you know, six or six thirty instead of five AM, which I know for some people that still sounds really early, but I'm telling you that feels like luxurious for me. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely notice a difference if I don't start my day with a morning walk. The ritual part of it, I think, is the fact that I always listen to a podcast or a book on tape. Sometimes I'll mm-hmm. call a friend on the East Coast, but like I think the ritual of having time to start my day and usually I'm listening to something that I find really educational or interesting. I like usually we'll do like more of the murder mystery stuff like mm-hmm. during the daytime hours mm-hmm. if I'm going to listen to podcasts. So like, I don't know. There's something about it. It's like people who read the newspaper, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like this is my equivalent of like reading the newspaper and I'm able to do it in that way. So for me, yeah, the, the ritual of the morning walk and it, again, the, the part that I've ritualized is like, usually wear a really similar outfit, but I, more importantly, it's like what I'm listening to. That's why on today's episode, we're discussing two things. One, what are rituals and how can they impact struggling teams? And two, three rules to follow when creating rituals that can also boost your performance. So let's get into it. Okay. So like we mentioned, when people think of rituals, they might often think about like traditions, routines, or even habits. According to research, up to 40% of our daily actions are powered by habits, which are those unconscious actions and routines that we've developed over time. Yet our routines aren't the only thing we need for a balanced life. Most of us spend our days bouncing between tasks. So think at work when you're bouncing between like an email task, and then you have to get up and go to a meeting and Etc. So it's your rituals, those symbolic actions performed at those key moments that help us move through the day smoothly. Maria Popova, founder of Brain Pickings, writes, quote, while routine aims to make the chaos of everyday life more containable and controllable, ritual aims to imbue the mundane with an element of the magical. The structure of routine comforts us and the specialness of ritual revitalizes us. Rituals are also hugely powerful to our brains because humans generally have two modes of thinking, instrumental thinking and ritualistic thinking. Dr. Nick Hobson, a neuroscientist from the University of Toronto and founder of The Behaviorist, describes these two modes like this. Instrumental thinking is when we do things rationally and related to goals. Think, I want to go to the gym so I can lose weight or I'm going to work extra hard on a Saturday to finish a project. Ritualistic thinking, on the other hand, is when we do something that doesn't make any logical sense, but on some level, our brains have evolved to know that it's still important or even vitally important. Right. Okay. So we know what rituals are and why they're important because they're that magical thing that maybe doesn't make sense, but Mm -hmm. you know it's important and you look forward to doing it, which is good to have things that you look forward to doing (laughs) in your day. But how do they translate to work, which was ultimately our big question is like, okay, this is all really good stuff for your life, but this could probably be really good for work Mm -hmm. also. And in more specifically, we wanted to know, can they help struggling teams? So to better understand this, I asked Mason Curry, author of Daily Rituals, Women at Work. So let's hear what he had to say. You know, my research really focused on the daily routines and rituals of great creative minds. So 
writers, artists, painters, philosophers, choreographers, other people like that. I found that these people, in an effort to do this sort of really demanding, ambitious, creative work, that rituals for them were a way to sort of gather or harness their energy and then direct it toward this ambitious, creative work. So it was like this really invaluable way to get into the state of mind or ease into the frame of mind for this particular type of work. So I think for individuals in the workplace, it can be the exact same thing. You know, it's a way to sort of like gather your energy and get it toward a project that's like the top priority for you. And so I think a ritual is sort of a way to like walk yourself into that frame of mind kind of step by step. You sort of train your brain that like, okay, now we're easing into this frame of mind where we do this kind of demanding work. And so I think in that way, it can be really useful for people in any kind of work setting because I think it's so easy to kind of be pulled in all these directions in a job and be constantly like playing catch up with email and putting out fires. And I think rituals can really be a way to like give yourself this dedicated time for doing like whatever your most kind of like demanding or important work is like kind of like the real work, not the just like putting out fires, uh, responding that so many people can easily get caught up in. So I really think that he's on to something here, which is for teams that are struggling, sometimes it's because there's this really demanding work that mm-hmm. they need to do and they can't quite get away from the busy work right? Yeah. in order to actually get to the real work. And so rituals could actually help with that, too. Mm-hmm which I know we've talked a lot about like productivity and management of your time, but this is another thing to think about is could you create a ritual around this work that Mm -hmm. is demanding and it does require like a different level of creativity? Yeah. Yeah. I, what I love about rituals and I feel like Mason kind of framed this is that you can create like your own, like there's no set thing. So you can really make something in theory that's routine and make it ritualistic and then that'll add like a boost in your performance just because it'll make you feel better, like on the most simplistic level. I feel like the easiest way is just to look what you do in your day to day and see how you can augment or add. And where you don't have a lot of energy for something yeah. or like when your energy is low for struggling teams, if you're if your team needs to boost its performance, like it's almost like gamifying the whole work process, mm-hmm. right? Like if there's this ritual that people look forward to and it doesn't have to make total sense because then it maybe feels more like a habit or routine, yeah. which isn't special. Like, can you put some sort of specialness around it? And we already know that research shows that when your employees are more engaged on the project, they're going to probably be better at it. Yeah. They're going to boost their performance, not to mention they're probably going to just enjoy being around each other and doing yeah. that too. So I feel like there's a lot of good things. I like that he also mentioned how, I mean, his focus was on like creatives. Right. But obviously this will benefit anyone. Yeah. Um, Like kind of sourcing that and then releasing it all into like one creative thing. Yeah. Um, It's really cool because that will just reinvigorate you to, you know, do better work. Yeah. Just if you're looking at something that you're stuck on in a different angle or something, I think that's huge. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do think about artists and like people who are building stuff. But Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you and I have to use creative skills Mm -hmm. all the time and it's not because we're artists, right? Like, yes, they, they have like a different level of creativity that's being asked of them. But I feel like all of us today and like like creativity and your ideas and like what you bring to a meeting Mm -hmm. is like the currency of your skill, right? Like nobody can take that away from you. And yet it's so important that you like 
hold on to that ability to like be a critical problem solver yeah. or to think creatively about, okay, well, we've always done it this way. How can we do it that way? And that takes a lot of energy too, yeah. just to be in the mindset. I think this is, you hear this a lot about people will go on like, you know, a tech free or digital free vacation and they'll come back and they'll like, they almost talk about like this fog being lifted. Yeah. And I think like that's that creative piece. So like rituals mm -hmm. could also maybe help by creating that more without having yeah. to go on a digital free vacation. Yeah. I mean, I think first it just gives you time to think in like, I don't know, a routine way, even though it's yeah. like ritualistic. But also, I mean, I feel like with creatives, it's almost like stepping away from your work. Yeah. Where it's like you have to go live a life worth commenting on. <laughs> yeah. And similar to if you're like problem solving, it's yeah. like if you're just all like focused on this problem or whatever it is at work, it's like go do something. I know. Thinking really and... hard never makes the answer come. Yeah. yeah unfortunately. <laughs> we also wanted to examine if there were specific rituals that could boost someone's performance at work. So once again, we turned to Mason. I always say like, when in doubt, take a walk. That seems to be the one thing that comes up over and over and over again across all sorts of creative disciplines is like the amazing power of stepping away from whatever you're doing and setting out on foot and kind of like not trying to force yourself to think about it too hard, but just letting it percolate. And then something about like the walking and the rhythm and your mind wandering a little bit, but having this problem kind of in the back of your head, like can so often lead to like a breakthrough or a new idea. So that came up a lot. That's kind of like, I would say the one ritual that is like easy to do that applies to so many different kinds of work. But I also think like rituals are just super individual. And so it, it's not even really necessarily about the specific thing. It's more about like the thing that you've found through trial and error or through just kind of accident just happens to coincide with getting good work done or that like, like I have this sort of weird thing where when I was writing my first book, I um, was like in this apartment was, that was really drafty and I was working early in the morning and I would always sit down at my computer with like a hooded sweatshirt on and I'd put the hood up because it was cold. Something about that feeling of having like the hood up and like looking at your laptop and it was almost like having like blinders on. It kind of created this little like zone of focus. Now I feel like I can't really write without like the hood up. <laughs> it's like this sort of <laughs> it's sort of superstitious. It's sort of just like a lucky habit. But I think it also for me part of the way of like, okay, now I'm going into like concentrated work mode and I'm not, you know, I don't think that would work necessarily for other people. It's more like the thing that has worked for you that you associate with getting good work done that through habit and repetition becomes kind of a talisman or um, just like a way to get yourself into that headspace. Yeah. And a lot of people I researched, like they would say, no, I don't really have any particular like rituals. But then they would say, well, actually, there is this one thing. And um, I think, you know, a lot of people might have these things without even fully realizing it. You know, like Toni Morrison had an interview where she talked about she didn't think of herself as someone who was super ritualistic, but then she realized like she would always get up in the morning and make coffee. She got up early, like before the sun rose. And then she would kind of like watch the light, the, the light of the day sort of like come, you know, kind of filter into her living space. That, that, that sort of like watching the light come was this really important moment for her that kind of like got her into the headspace to start her writing for the day. It doesn't have to be something like super complicated. It could just be, you know, making that cup of coffee or watching the sunrise or, you know, listening to a piece of music or, you know, walking around the block. It, it can be any number of things. I think it's more about like 
the repetition from day to day to day to day that this is the thing you do before you settle into your like most important focused work period. Okay. So one of the common threads here is that it's something that the repetition. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important for people to take away. I just like hearing that. Like, yeah, I love hearing people's rituals and the fact that you probably think you don't have a ritual, even though yeah. you probably do. When I was listening to him say that, I go, what are my rituals that I don't <laughs> even know? It also, I was like, maybe I should try writing with a hood on. <laughs> also, like two takeaways. the two things that we talked about, he's like, those are the most common. It's like making coffee yeah. and walking. So not revolutionary. Yeah. But. So we're not unique, but that's okay. He did not say they have to be unique. They Mm -hmm. just, you know, they, they're unique to you. I think when I was in college, there was this girl who I lived with where in order for her, the hood thing made me think of this Mm -hmm. in order for her to study or like really get in the zone to like do good work. Mm -hmm. She would shower, get dressed, do her hair, put on makeup and go to the library. And she would always sit in like the same spot of the library. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing. Like, I don't think people even realize, but like always sitting in the same place, even though there's open seating, like people do that all the time. And that's how she could like get in the zone to like get something done. So I think that's really fascinating is what is it that you're doing every day that helps you get in the zone? And for teams, I think this is important because like maybe it's important to actually be asking your team, like, when Mm -hmm. do you do your best work? Like the, in the zone work, because another thing is like, you might be asking people to do work or get in the zone at times that are like really not related to like, either they haven't done their ritual before or, or what I like gotten into the zone, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I just said the zone, the word zone a lot, (laughs) but the point being is I think for teams and for managers, that is a really important question that very few people are ever being asked, which is when do you do your best work? Mm -hmm. A lot of places might be off, you know, do offer flexible work schedules now, but still like even then, for example, like sometimes I'll come into the office at 10 AM, but I'm a morning person. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I like to get up and do work from like, you know, six 30 to nine and then come into the office. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think also if teams could look at, I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams have like once a week regular meetings or something that's yeah. consistent. So yeah. you could look at those meetings or check-ins and be like, what could we add to this that already exists as a routine? Right. So how can we make it ritualistic? And yeah. See if that, I don't know, boosts performance or, you know, it could just be like a fun thing. Yeah. Then it take two minutes or something. I think that's actually really valuable too, is kind of getting your head in the right, like your mindset in the right space. Yeah. But so Mason mentioned like walking is a great one, especially if someone's like kind of in an office environment to yeah. just step away for a bit. And I will say reading all of the rituals that we got, like that's a lot of the common ones, coffee yeah. and walking. Mm-hmm. One thing that surprised me, I'm like reading through, I'm like, all oh, these people get up early and do like a yoga flow and yeah. then like light Palo Santo. I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm like, good job. Like, I wish I... Some people, Did yeah. That, so like, I start with a vinyasa flow every morning. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> that's well, you could add that. <laughs> I don't know if I could. <laughs> well, cuts into my coffee. My, say, they might not be spending as much time making <laughs> yeah. coffee as you. So we pulled the career contestant mm-hmm. audience and asked them what are their workplace rituals. So we'll just read you guys a few because it might also kind of jumpstart your own thinking around what are your rituals. Because mm-hmm. like Mason said, a lot of times we don't even know. So as Aaliyah said, making coffee mm-hmm. was a big one. One person also said writing down one thing I'm grateful for followed by my to-dos each day in my diary. Mm-hmm. I actually could see that being a big one too, yeah. where as part of the ritual, it's like making coffee and then like sitting there and writing out yeah. either one thing you're grateful for, or of course we're big fans of writing down the, you know, the three must have items for your productivity yeah. for the day. 
Another one that's writing to-dos down in my notebook with little check boxes and then going through the day, check them off as I complete it. That's just a very satisfying one, yeah. I think, too. Working out every day, that's like, you go, girl. Yeah. Like, that's a great if that's what, you know, charges you up. And mm-hmm. she said her stress anxiety immediately goes away. Oh, I like this one. She writes tomorrow's to-do list at 4.30 p.m. every day. Oh, yeah, that's like also because that. there's so many morning rituals. I think that's really interesting because that's definitely like a ritual that you can do at the end of the day, which mm-hmm. is starting to like. You don't necessarily want to like start a huge new project by the end of the day. So it's like, yeah, organize tomorrow. Totally. And I also think that one of the things a lot of us have trouble with is leaving work at work and like turning off, which we know is good. But how do you do it? Like you could also have a ritual that you do at the end of every day, which Mm -hmm. would help your body kind of and your mind probably more importantly, know it's time to wind down. Yeah. Oh, I love this person has a winter morning routine specifically. Turn on the electric kettle for a cup of tea, go over schedule and projects for the day slash week and go through emails and then start on a project. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. I love that it's specific for winter. I wonder what her summer. Well, I feel like we <laughs> live in L.A., so we kettle. don't we don't have this problem. But like other places, yeah, winter and summer, you should have probably different routines. Mm-hmm. Here's another one where she said, um, when we have time, my boss and I do a walking meeting for about 20 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. to catch up nice. and discuss our to-do list or to brainstorm, which is great. You're kind of mixing two things. Yeah. Meditation. Also, I've seen a couple times people mention. Yes. Hot water while I drive to work. That's nice. Oh, here's a good one. I'm a remote employee, so I open my laptop and turn on Slack and then take it into the kitchen while I make a pot of tea. Then I have the tea while I go through the day's emails and make a plan. I try really hard to always cook myself lunch and walk the dog over my lunch break. I love that. And I I think that's great, too, because if you're a remote employee, you might feel like you're missing out on this a little bit, but Mm -hmm. you can still have your rituals that you, you know, have with a team, even though you're remote. This person says, wipe my desk down right away with disinfecting wipes. I I feel like I kind of do a similar where if I'm working at home specifically Mm -hmm. or doing any sort of big project, like even if it's just like, I don't know, building a piece of furniture or something around the house. Yeah. I have to have the house like clean. Yeah. Like I'm like, I can't start any sort of thing that could be remotely messy yeah and before I had like completely clean um when it makes me think when I was a kid I was like that if I wanted to play in my room I remember this like I would clean it all first and then Then (laughs) my mom still tells a joke she's like if you wanted Lauren to clean her room you just had to put her on like a timeout because then she'd actually do it I also think that this lady said getting into the office 30 minutes early to power through emails and prep for the day I do remember that too like being the first person Mm -hmm. in the office is like a glorious yeah whenever I was like an executive assistant that was huge because I mean you're basically just like taking random you don't I don't know you're just on calls or whatever pops up that day you can't necessarily plan it out hour by hour right so I'd always come in super early and just like do emails stuff like that yeah it makes you feel like you catch up ahead of the day so Mm -hmm. okay well I love those I think these are all really good rituals and if you don't have a ritual like hopefully these are some good ideas for you to think about creating one and maybe I think Again, remembering what Mason said, the most important thing is this is something that you repeat day Mm -hmm. to day. So when you don't have time for your ritual, remember that like maybe you're feeling off because of that too. Like I actually, I mean, you and I both said that it it does affect us. So making, making time for those. All right. Well, after this break, we'll go over three rules to follow when creating rituals that can also boost your performance. Our first tip is to make your ritual repeatable. 
Mason discussed this as well, but another way of thinking about this is that famous Aristotle quote, you are what you repeatedly do. In order to make something a ritual, you must repeat it on a regular basis. Rituals increase our performance by turning small, everyday acts into more significant ones. They add meaning and joy to our lives. And when facing uncertain situations, rituals help us focus, deal with anxiety, or feel more confident. An example of this is a woman who joined a panel discussion we hosted last year. She said she always listens to Eye of the Tiger before a big presentation. Gets yeah. her focused and ready. <laughs> it made me think, too, about people who listen to, like, the same song before something mm-hmm. big. Somebody I know, I interviewed her on the podcast last season, Heather Monahan. She said anytime she does a presentation, she wears like a certain dress and a certain shoe. There was another woman when we did a panel um, discussion a few years ago where she said she always wears like these red heels Mm -hmm. whenever she's making a presentation. So I think, too. If you have ever felt like maybe anxious or you don't have control, actually creating a ritual can help mm-hmm. ease that anxiety and make you feel like you have more control, which I yeah. feel like is such a win, especially in the career space. I think especially with job searching, mm-hmm. I was actually asking a friend who's job searching. She got laid off probably about six months ago. And so she's job searching. And as you can tell, like six months is a long time mm-hmm. to be job searching. It, it brings up all these weird feelings and definitely yeah. makes you feel like you don't have a lot of control. She said when she started to implement the ritual of like a certain schedule, so like she job searches and like how she does it in a certain order, she said that's actually made her feel a lot better yeah. versus kind of like sporadically all over the place. So mm-hmm. I think that's, I, I thought the control piece of this yeah, was really interesting. Yeah, part that's predictable exactly. that you can expect mm-hmm. when like, especially the job search, it's like, yeah, that could feel so like, I don't know why this person's not responding or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, I think just as long as it's you're able to repeat something, then that could be a ritual. Yeah, like it doesn't and prioritize it. Yeah, I think also something that's common is like as long as it it seems like the common thread is it gives you focus in yes. some sort of way. So if you feel that, then it's like it's probably a ritual. Yeah. And on the song note, I feel like I'm realizing that like playlists are huge for me. Yeah, that's probably a ritualistic behavior because I have like a playlist for running that I always yeah. playlist for different things bringing this back to work. You could have certain playlists for Mm -hmm. a certain type of work. If you are managing a team, maybe you have like, like when you're in college or something, they have like pep rallies where they always start with like a certain song. Like that might be too much. Like some managers probably like, I would never play a song, but you never, (laughs) you know, like try things. When I was freelancing and was doing a lot of work that I did not want to do, but it's like, I just had to do it. I had a playlist that I made as a joke and it's called money buys you happiness. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just like pump up, like, cause I was just like designing or whatever. And I was like, this is my like, get through this. Hey, motivation, right? Buys you happiness. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And that's what we want to teach here. (laughs) You can buy happiness. Just turn on a playlist, (laughs) but it was all money themed music. Actually, I think sometimes that can work. <laughs> it was just like more like, I don't know, funny listening to it, I guess. That it was more entertaining than And maybe the opposite where you have all this all these songs about how money can't buy happiness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're yeah, like, it was hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Tip number two is pay attention to when you have the most energy. So are you a morning person? Are you a night owl? Is the time right after lunch when you prefer to do a mundane task? Identify when you have the most energy and then create a ritual that can help you channel that energy into productive work. And the other thing about rituals is that they can help kill procrastination too. So let's say you are a morning person, but you're still not wild about doing, you know, some specific work, try incorporating a ritual with the task. I feel like in college, I had a lot of things that like 
for studying specifically where I know I'm going to be like in it for a few hours where I would have to have like certain paper and pens just laid out and that would help me like just mentally switch like okay this is focus yeah and I think that's important because sometimes like the mistakes that people make at work or like the communication errors a lot of times and and maybe this is something to reflect on when that stuff has happened to you at work, has it happened because you're moving too quickly? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I feel like the answer is kind of yes, maybe yeah. not 100%, but closely a yes to that. So then what can you do to help yourself slow down also? And I think part of what happens is people don't want to forget stuff. So writing things down is a really helpful way because you actually remember it more if you write it down mm-hmm. with paper and pen. I actually read a stat and it was like, we forget 70% of like n- things we learned within 24 hours and we forget, I know, and we forget like 90% of things that we learn within a week. So you actually have to write things down. Otherwise you like do not remember. Oh, man, that yeah. makes sense. With the having the most energy to do, like pay attention when you have the most energy, I feel like that could also describe why so many of the readers that submitted it had like morning like yeah. before work because probably towards the end of the day after work yeah you're not as energized so maybe that's like why the rituals aren't as common there right nighttime routines are definitely yeah. becoming more of a thing because people I mean people want to be able to sleep and yeah. it's hard to sleep if you feel like you can't turn your brain off so that's another thing it's like I know we're talking about work but actually in in my book power moves I interviewed someone who had an amazing like nighttime ritual and mm-hmm obviously we know how important sleep is. So that's, that's another thing you can try. And our third and final tip is to share your ritual with your team. Rituals at work are great for all the reasons we've already mentioned, like increased focus, confidence, energy, killing off procrastination, etc. But it's equally important that you let your team in on this because your communication can clear up any misconceptions they might have. Rituals are ultra-specific, step-by-step instructions that are easily repeatable and help you get a specific outcome. A ritual is something done to prepare for action. A habit is something done repeatedly for the purpose of performing the action itself. If you know you'll need to build in extra time before a presentation to perform your ritual, share that with your team. I think this just comes back to over-communicate. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about like if you are a person who um, before a big meeting, maybe you need to go to a space and be by yourself and practice out loud it's good to let your team know like, Hey, I, you know, before a big meeting, I really like to kind of sit in a room by myself and do this one. Then they won't come interrupt you Two, Then they'll know like, you're not just sitting in a room doing nothing that you're actually preparing or Mason talking about how he likes to put his hood on and like, right. He was mentioning like, you know, what if your ritual is that you like to like sit in a chair and Mm -hmm. just like hover over and they just think, Oh, he's just like, being lazy or he's just sitting over there, I don't know, on Slack the whole time or whatever. So I think also what I've learned also from obviously Career Contessa, but also writing this book is that communication and over communicating is probably one of the most important things that you can be doing at work. So let your team in on what your ritual is. Too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I just think kind of letting people in mm-hmm. on that. Like, you know, I actually do my best work in the morning. Could we have that meeting in the morning instead? It's okay to let people in and start talking out loud about when you're able to get your best work yeah. done. That doesn't mean that the rules are always going to bend towards you. You know, mm-hmm. like I think you also have to be open to compromise because this doesn't, you know, this is not the same for everybody. But yeah. And also your team could get an idea for something. Yeah. Like, you have a really unique ritual and it could probably just help them. Mm-hmm. So also an added benefit of just telling them 
what you do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's recap. Our three rules for creating workplace rituals are number one, make it repeatable. Number two, pay attention to when you have the most energy. And three, share your ritual with your team. All right. Next up, we hear from you and solve your problems. Welcome to Dear Career Contessa, the part of the show where we answer your questions. Remember, if you have a career question, you can submit it to us via DM on at Career Contessa on Instagram, email us info at careercontessa.com, or leave us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. All that information is also included in the show notes. Today, we're joined by Career Contessa coach Solu Wanzi, who is the Director of Business Operations at Zendesk, as well as founder and executive coach at Expanded Impact. Let's meet Salu. Hi, Salu. Hi, Lauren. All right. So let's talk about today's question, which I'm going to read because it came to us via email. And I feel like the context is really important Mm -hmm. for the storyline. So everyone bear with me while I read this, but it's good. She said, I have 14 years of professional experience, starting with retail, an internship with an NBA team, print magazine writing, and editing. 10 years at one of the largest broadcast media companies in the country where I started as a promotion coordinator and was internally promoted to marketing director and now an account manager at an advertising agency. There's a particular company I really want to work for. And a year ago, I had my first interview. The recruiter said she and the hiring manager were both so impressed with me, but the position only called for one year of experience and I was too overqualified. I graciously thanked them and said I would love to keep my eye out for more advanced openings in the future. In January, I applied for another job there, one that I felt I could have been an absolute rock star at. It called for eight years of experience and was such a match for my work history and passions. I had two great interviews with another recruiter and another hiring manager, but was told I did not have enough experience for the role. I was strongly encouraged to apply again for something less senior. So a few weeks ago, I noticed a less senior role and had opened, applied, and quickly got another interview with yet another hiring manager. While I felt the prior position was a perfect match, I still felt like I could absolutely do this job as described and do it well. The interview was another great conversation, but once again, I was told I was too junior for the role. This job called for only three years minimum experience. All the roles I have applied for have been in brand marketing and marketing strategy, which is where my work history lies. I admittedly have not worked in the exact industry, but I took the Career Contessa resume course, and I know my resume and cover letter effectively express how I've done the skills I need and why I'm so interested in their industry at large and their company in particular. I even included a portfolio of spec work I've done for a major partner of theirs. All of my feedback from them has been overwhelmingly positive, even though nothing has worked out yet. I really do want to work there, and I'm grateful to have built goodwill with so many of their recruiters and hiring managers, but I feel discouraged and perplexed with a bit of a Goldilocks syndrome, either overqualified or underqualified, but never perfect. Would you keep trying if you were me? What do you think I should do if I should keep trying to do it differently? All right, Salu, I think this is a really good question. And I wanted to read the whole story, like I said, because I think the context really adds to she should be perplexed, don't you think? 
Absolutely. I really love the Goldilocks question here. Um, and before I jump into my response, I wanted to just give a little bit of context uh, to the audience on where I am coming from. So you can put that in context with my response. As Lauren had mentioned, I am a certified exec coach and BizOps leader in tech. And my goal in both of those capacities is to work with leaders and their teams to unlock maximum engagement and effectiveness. As a coach, I feel I am obliged to separate the difference between coaching and mentoring. So in my response, I will be giving you more of a mentor answer, which is based on my own experience and my truth, which is different from coaching, where I'm usually guiding through your own experience and truth. For me personally, sort of responding to this, the first thing I'd want to know is just go a little bit deeper into getting some insights on what they mean by being overqualified for mm -hmm. the role you're interested in. Overqualified or years of experience sometimes could be a euphemism that masks something else, usually around some type of uh, skills and behaviors that the company may be looking for. So particularly since a particular person has built so much goodwill, sounds like there's opportunity to ask a little bit deeper. What will someone who has the prescribed years of experience bring to the table in terms of skills and behaviors? And then you begin to unearth what they're really looking for. Now, at that juncture, you can do a self-assessment and see whether you have those skills and behaviors or if those are things that you want to learn and build up. Um, and if you do have them already, then you want to start looking at ways to articulate them, right? Articulate those transferable skills in a way that really matches what the company is looking for. Now, in terms of building the skills, there are many ways to do that. It's either you could do something within your current role where you take a stretch role to build the skill set is needed for the next thing you're looking for, or maybe even working with a nonprofit and using the opportunity to do something that en uh, enhances the community, but at the same time also gives you those particular skills. When it comes to demonstrating the skills to uh, the company that you're uh, interested in, uh, some companies are beginning to do this experiential type interviews. And that means sort of a day in the life where you work with your potential colleagues on a particular project. So that way, the hiring manager and the team gets to see you in, you know, the situation that you will be in in this role and assess you on the skills that you're looking for. You know, I think the other piece is uh, trying to get a sponsor on the inside. Again, going back to the idea of having built goodwill already with a number of teams, you may want to reach out to one of those hiring managers or recruiters and get coffee with them. The reader also mentioned that they hadn't met in person yet. So it may be helpful to build that relationship. Getting a sponsor on the inside will help you find someone who will advocate for you without those years of experience that the company is looking for. Clearly, this candidate is getting the interview calls. So it means that there's something that they really admire about your background. And I would just double down on that. Also, one thing that we don't know is we also don't know who she's interviewing against, which yeah. can actually like really impact whether she's overqualified or underqualified. Because on one hand, you know, as someone who is a recruiter, I'm listening to this and I'm like, oh, this almost makes me cringe. Like I'm embarrassed for the recruiter who's had to invite her to an interview mm -hmm. three times and then tell her she's, you know, underqualified or un overqualified for the job three times. But also like we're missing a huge piece of this, which is you you are maybe a great candidate, but you don't know who's on the other side. Yeah. Reminds me of a friend of mine who went out for 
a job she was like perfect for the role, like truly to a T. It's like really specific sort of skills she needed too, but then didn't get it. And she was surprised because like she also had like a sponsor on the inside too. Yeah. And then that come to find out that it was like, it was, it was like an entry level job, but an intern got that. And it's like, oh, because that person's been there, like doing yeah. pretty much unpaid work for years. So it's like, yeah. yeah, they probably might have a little bit of preference. So it's like yeah. you never know what the situation exactly. is internally. Which can help kind of complete the puzzle pieces here. So Lou, I really like your idea of like create a relationship with one of these hiring managers outside of the interview process. That's, I think, mm-hmm. really, really valuable, especially since she's clearly saying like, hey, I still want to work here. I mean, some people might go through this and they might say, you know what, if after three interviews, I'm not your person, then like, I'm not right. But it's, it's that's not her attitude. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it it goes, connects back to what you said earlier on learning more about the culture of the team, how the team makes decisions, what other types of candidates could be in line. That informal conversation could help unearth more of that and provide insights. And and getting more feedback, you know, beyond the feedback on years of experience, going a little bit deeper on the feedback, I think would be critical as well. Yeah. And sometimes companies, I mean, Salu, you probably know this too, because you interview a lot of candidates, I'm sure in your job, like sometimes you make a job description and then you meet a candidate and you're like, Oh, I didn't even know that that's kind of what I wanted. And it's unfortunate, but this, this totally happens where we create a game plan on paper. And then the reality is you meet people and you're like, actually that person's skills could be really good for this thing too. Mm -hmm. Right. So everything you're saying obviously ties back to like the actual action item for her is like, try to have a build a relationship with the hiring manager. So that you have more context to this. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer her question, would you keep trying if you were me? I would say yes, but approach it in a different angle. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing I would jump, uh, I would throw in there is I believe very strongly in don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. So I would look for other comparative companies that you could also apply to. I think at the bare minimum, you would also learn what these other companies are looking for. And you'll be able to identify if this is really a unicorn role or there are others out there looking for the same Mm -hmm. thing. Agreed. Completely agree. Well, thank you, Salu, for joining us on Dear Career Contessa. This was very fun. And just a quick reminder for everyone that Salu is actually available for personalized career coaching, not just Mm -hmm. mentoring, career coaching (laughs) Mm -hmm. through Career Contessa. If you go to our site, click on coaching. We'll also link to Salu's career coaching profile in the show notes so you can check that out as well. But thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. We also have a free downloadable worksheet to help you prioritize your work. It's called the Productivity Rule of Three, and it can help you create a new ritual where you spend time each morning determining your three most important priorities to complete for that day. We link to that worksheet in the show notes if you're interested in checking that out. Plus, we'd like to thank Mason Curry for his advice on the topic of rituals. You can find more information about him and his book, which is called Daily Rituals, Women at Work, in the show notes. But also, as we mentioned before, we have a really fun surprise, which is that you can actually win a copy of his book. All you have to do is leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Then you can screenshot it and email it to us. Our email is info at 
careercontested.com. Um, and if you're the winner, then we'll let you know. We've got two copies to give away. So definitely leave your reviews, screenshot, and then info at careercontested.com and we'll get that shipped out to you. And lastly, I'd like to thank career coach Solu Nwanzi for sharing her expert advice in our Dear Career Contested segment.